Hello and welcome to Review, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew, and on this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul O'Neill, who is a presenter, commentator, racing driver, and coach. Welcome to Review, Paul. I'd like to start off by asking, with that impressive list of all the things you do, what is it that you say you do? <laughs> Cheers, Andrew. Yeah. No, thanks for having us. Um, what do I say I do? Do you know what? I have to be careful here because um, I don't know what I've said on my insurance, to be honest with me, Carl. Um, <laughs> now, do you know, it is, it's an interesting question because, uh, because I do so many things. When you're chatting to people, you, f- you kind of forget. I mean, I forget that I do the TV stuff and that people, you know, do sometimes recognize you, especially at the circuits. So I do forget sometimes what I do. But I think, I think what do I enjoy the most? It's, it is probably commentating um, on mm-hmm. ITV4 for the British Touring Car Package. So I probably... I'd probably tell people I, I'm, I'm an automotive trainer, forward slash host, presenter. That's probably what I'll say I do. But I do too many things to even think about what I do, to be honest. <laughs> you don't get a chance to get bored then? <laughs> no, I tell you, no, I don't I don't get a chance to see me family. It's um, it's crazy. But, you know, you, you, you pick and choose what you do. And I'm a very fortunate person, you know, um, coming from a place called Witness in Cheshire, which is a great place. And I still live here right in the town centre. You never thought that you'd you'd be uh, you know winning touring car races and stuff when you were 22 so I've been very fortunate very privileged and it's great to progress and do other things now apart from you know the odd race of a car so it's cool man it's really good that's excellent you touched on it there let's let's go back a bit into your history so obviously you like cars what do you know when that started or are there sort of family stories that they regale around the fireplace saying oh do you remember when he just started doing this or whatever uh, you know when did it the whole interest in cars happen and did anyone help you along with that yeah i think it's weird you know my story's a bit of a strange one because i remember living not too far away from where i am now and i was about I was about, well, I remember being four or five years old, years of age and everything was to do with cars. And my mum has always told me that nothing else mattered except for cars when I was younger <laughs> before I remembered. So it'd be toy cars, this, toy cars, that, cars, 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 cars. And then I had a really uh, nasty accident when I was five years old with my, uh, with my dad. And uh, just up the road, uh, going towards Warrington, a guy overtook on the wrong side of the car, uh, on the wrong side of the road, and uh, he lost control, hit us head on. Mm. And then back in the day, um, they didn't have seat belts in the back, and uh, I was uh, I was stood up stupidly in the middle of the uh, back seat, uh, like over the transmission tunnel mm-hmm. in a Toyota Cressida, whatever one of them is, and um, <laughs> I, I don't like them. <laughs> I uh, I ended up actually being catapulted towards the windscreen. Oh wow! Yeah, and we went backwards through a hedge. Uh, it was a sixty road. We were going, you know, we were probably doing 40, 50 mile an hour. And long story short. I bounced off the windscreen. My legs apparently saved me from going, and my ankles going out of the car, and I bounced back into the passenger seat. So from an early age, I had a horrific moment with cars, but ever since then, I was even more fascinated by cars. My my family have nothing to do with, with cars or motor racing, but mm. I was always sat with my dad because he was a HGV driver, and he always let me change the gears. So I've just been fascinated by things with wheels. I'm pretty boring, to be honest, Andrew. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you're in good company here we all we all love our cars so that's fine so um you're always fascinated by cars when you went through school and stuff like that well i'm sorry first thing how long did it take you to recover from the accident 
Oh, so yeah, no, it was. Um, I've got, I, I bear quite a bad scar on on the top of my head, which is worse now because I'm going bald. Like I'm proceeding, and you can just see it, it's right right across the top of my forehead. I get I used to get called Frankenstein and all sorts. It was horrendous. <laughs> oh, uh, kids, they're, yeah, so, they're exactly. so gentle. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah, it kept me honest though. And yeah, it was um, wasn't too bad for me. I was in hospital for for quite a bit, but you you know you when I say quite a bit, a few days probably, but you. You, you recover quickly as a child. Yeah. Um, it's always with you um, mentally, but you recover quickly. So I was fine, but my dad was in intensive care. For, I remember for a long time in January, uh, just mm. after Christmas, I think it was. So my mum had quite a lot of support from um, from friends around the house and stuff, and my dad was off work. And, yeah, it it wasn't the, the mental scars. It was the financial pressure, I think, I yeah. remember. And it did. It put a lot of strain on my on my family. Um, but they got through it, as usual, as, as uh, my mum and dad do. So, yeah, it was everyone was cool. And, and yeah, it was it was just one of those things. But it intensified my um, uh, my love of cars, let's say. So when you're going through school, were you doing anything that lesson wise or trying to make decisions on subjects you took car related? Or did you even think that you could do anything car wise while you're going through school? Interesting question, actually. Yeah, I mean, I went to a I went to a school just up the road, and there was nothing really at school that could that you could kind of put your interest into if it was to do with cars. Mm-hmm. I've still got all my old Leavers books and all my old school books, and it's so funny reading the stuff from teachers just saying, "Wake up, Paul! Stop dreaming about racing," or <laughs> or there'd be like a scribble of like Nigel Mansell's. FW15 uh, uh, or FW14B which was just an immense car and uh, just no one at school could care less about it all my mates were like oh grow up mate but there was a guy called uh, remember Stuart Johnson and he was well into Formula One with me and me and him just used to chat through all the lessons and not get anything done and <laughs> I remember in, in CDT um, craft design technology we, yep. um, I remember the teacher was on about uh, building a cart um, as a project for GCSE, mm. but it just never come to fruition because you know, you know, schools just don't have the the resources to do that. It would take no. a parent yeah. to help out, which I would do now if I had kids and they were doing something in school. I'd definitely help out. So yeah, it was a difficult one, but um, ah, it's the way it goes, and you just have to crack on with school and and uh, do what you can. Well, I think. Kids are luckier now. Sorry, I'm going to sound like an old man on his porch a bit, but kids are lucky now because of the internet. People can get into these more niche interests and find out how school lessons can relate to those much easier, I think. And I think the way some lessons are taught as well, the teachers to try and uh, get the kids interest, explain, right, this, this bit of maths will actually help, you know, here with engineering and with engineering, you can go and, you know, uh, work in a formula one team or something like that to get, to show people that these are the building blocks to do other things. But um, back in the day, uh, it sounds like with you, because I'm, I'm older than you, it definitely was with me. Nobody did that. They just go, well, you go through school and either do or do not go to university. And this is this is the career we think you should do. And it's like, well, that's mm. great. Thanks for <laughs> railroading yeah. me at the age of 13. <laughs> yeah. That's my life mapped out, Tar. You know, yeah. so you really have to take this, you really had to take the steps to to pursue this so bearing in mind there was like one other person in school how how did you take steps then because you you talked there about being fascinated in with racing how did you take steps to try and look into it more get get involved 
Well, you know, it's, it is interesting you say because, you know, all I remember from school was the teachers as I went through school were just banged on about curriculum this and guidelines that. And like you say, there was, you know, the, unless the teacher was interested in, in a subject, I come from a, a rugby league town. So, mm-hmm. you know, PE was rugby league and uh, CDT was more about, you know, chemicals. We're from a chemical town as well. So, yep. it can, you know, no one really... Looked, I can't remember anyone from around my way um, that was in, interested in racing or who raced cars. The only person I can remember is, is a guy called Steve Cole, who a Scouse guy who raced in TVR Tuscans at a, at a really high level. But, you know, there was no one for me to look up to. Um, but like you say, my interest, to go back to your question, it, it, how did I go about it? I, I was very fortunate because I remember being in uh, fourth year, um, which would be year 10 um, of school. So I was... I was about ten years of ten years of age, and you got, I went to see the careers advice guy, mm. um, and I had it in my head that I love cars that much. How was I going to do this? Because I wasn't very clever. I, I'll, I'm dead honest; I wasn't clever at all. But I used to stay behind to try and get my maths up to speed and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. is weird because I was a bit of a rogue as a kid as well. Um, <laughs> but, but I knew that you know you had to knuckle down and crack on and get on with what you what, what you knew best so I went and seen the careers guy and, and uh, I told him I wanted to be traffic police okay yeah because that's something I could relate to yep you basically race round in cars and catch bad guys don't you um, well, so, yes. <laughs> wait, try anyway. legally allowed to speed at certain yeah. times <laughs> ram some, uh, ram some um, criminals off bike sounds great <laughs> so you know I, I spoke to him and to be fair to the fella he was like okay I hear what you're saying you need to go to do, do GCSEs, you need to then get into A-level, then you need to get into university, like you were saying, and that's then a step to head towards what, what they had as accelerated promotion in the police. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a focus on that, and that's that's exactly what I went for. And it was, now I think about it, I've never thought about this, actually, but, you know, going to do A-levels, I never thought I'd get the chance to do them because, you know, man, I was, I was not clever. I scraped in with a few Cs and a, and a two Bs in science, scraped in. So thinking about that I was quite proud of it but it all changed for me and I'm sure maybe yourself you know this and and maybe a lot of people who are listening probably don't but my sister got very famous when I was 15 years of age when I was just leaving uh, Fairfield High School which was my secondary school so in between getting my results for GCSEs and then going to A-levels at college she she was in the Spice Girls Mm -hmm. Sporty Spice so obviously everything changed for me then and not to go on about the story but I couldn't concentrate in college because I was getting bullied by a lot of people, just just jealous people, I think. Yeah. And a lot of people do ask me the question, do you, you know, do you uh, have any agree- grievances with those people? And it's really sad to say this, but I don't because I think I'd have done the same thing because <laughs> it was just typical of a working class town. You kind of get a bit envious and it wasn't horrendous bullying, but it was nasty enough. So my career path then changed. I was you know, looking at a normal job in the police and next minute my sister's pulled me out of a job that I didn't want to do because I left college because I was getting bullied and she said, what do you want to do? I'll pay for anything you want to do to help you out. And then the next conversation I'm having is at the Jim Russell Race School and how to get a race license and then there you go, two years later I'm in <laughs> British Touring Cars winning my first race at Alton Park. Pretty weird. <laughs> no, but it is it is awesome. I mean, yeah, sometimes you need, uh, is it luck? Uh, I'm not sure that's quite the right word, but no, to right. be in the right place at the right time and yep. to to know know someone who's prepared to help and back, people need that. 
um, throughout their lives. And you know, you you were whilst it whilst it was not great that you got bullied to say the least. But I mean, I think that's typical of. I think Britain. We, we don't yeah. like people being successful. No, we, right. we've, we're very good at knocking people down. Mm-hmm. Uh, something we think we need to address, but never mind. But you know that that helped helped stop you going into a career that you wouldn't have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. That was not Plan A, and you can go off and do this. I mean, that's just that's just awesome. Okay, and, and anyone who make snidey comments or anything like that about it it's just that's just pettiness that's that's silliness and that's jealousy like you said uh, mm. th- there's no need for that so how did that how you know two years between that conversation and two years later you're in the PT was that accelerated progress to get to that point or you know what were you doing what did you have to do in that time it, it was it was totally i've never really sat down and thought about it to be honest and it's it's crazy i mean there's a few things i've missed out there and the reason i got pulled up by my sister about it is because i i was work i come out of college i was studying politics business studies and geography and everything i just didn't i just knew i wouldn't be able to do it was horrific but you'd be perfect for today though because you could go and (laughs) teach some people all those things (laughs) i know you see See my time. I, politics is a. I love politics. I think the great thing about politics, and I know it's always a funny issue. Um, I just see it as spitting image, and that, that was my era. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I loved the lesson, but I didn't. I wasn't clever enough to understand the the other sides of it. So that's. So I kind of got a bit misled by the bullies, and I think that is a cop out thing for me to say that the bullies pushed me out. They didn't. I just wasn't clever enough. But the bullying didn't actually help. Um, but. You know, Armel said to us, you know, just get yourself together, sort yourself out. So I, I did, and I worked in um, in Birchwood in Warrington um, mm-hmm. for my mum's guitarist because they're in a band as well, my mum and dad. So he had a little um, specialised uh, amplifier business, so I went and worked for him. And this is where it all changed for me. I had a little Ford Fiesta, 1.1 Ford Fiesta, and uh, the ABS or something had gone wrong on it. I can't remember. So I ended up putting it in a garage, and then my sister this is where the motorsport link comes in. My sister and the Spice Girls, they launched the McLaren of 1997, I think, at Alexander Palace. With <laughs> as Mika one does. Hacken. Yeah, as one does, exactly. <laughs> with Micah Hackett and David Coulthard. And I remember going, which is <laughs> random. And I remember going because I was like, oh, my God, they are Formula One people and I'm in the same room. This is awesome. <laughs> so I got to meet them and stuff as a 17-year-old. And um, they all got, the Spice Girls all got Mercedes-Benz SLKs as as presents for doing the job and also got paid, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my sister couldn't drive at the time and she passed the test quite quickly but had not driven this SLK. So I just said, listen, can I use it for work? It was, I was insured on it and everything. She went, yeah, yeah, no worries. Get your car fixed. Because me and Armel are pretty close. And then anyway... I got asked to go and get some tea bags from Spa, and they were the most expensive tea bags that were ever bought. As I went straight through a roundabout backwards, <laughs> through a post, and just like cost, I've written the car off and chopped it in half. Oh and no! This is how much driving knowledge I had. I've been driving two months, and I didn't know that Mercedes Benzes were rear wheel drive. I thought that anything that was fast was driven by all four wheels because that's just the way it was. But no, it wasn't. And I went straight through a lamppost. And that's when it all got in the front pages, the mirror, the sun, all that kind of stuff. And my sister pulled me up and she said, get over to the World Tour. We need to have a chat. And that's when it all changed. And that's when she said, let's go and um, let's go and get you a career. What do you want to do? 
Then mm. I told her. She said, weirdly, the chef downstairs, her brother races in what's actually known now as WEC, W-E-C. Mm-hmm. She gave me his number, spoke to him. He got me in touch with Jim Russell Race School. And as I say, the rest is history. It's a weird story, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yes, it is. But that's, I mean, how did you get hurt in that accident, by the way? Because that sounds quite, it was, was it just one. bumps and scratches or was it a bit more serious than that? Uh, no, it, for me, it was just, I've got a bit, of, I think I've still got a bit of glass in my head, I think. Um, it's just in the back of my head. It, to Will be you fair, stop hitting things with your head? <laughs> I know, my, head, my head's been through a lot, so I, I still play five-a-side and get head-butted now. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't, if it, let's put it this way, Andrew, if it was, um, if it was a Ford Fiesta 1.1, I'd have been dead. It hit me square on the door. It was a Mercedes-Benz tank. It, it wow. wasn't, you know, it written it off and it was a disaster, but... Uh, and the thing was, it put me off being in the traffic police because the guy who come round the corner, as soon as he found out found out the connection, when he come to my house with my sister, he made it really difficult for me. Mm. I felt anyway. That's my side of the story. I was an idiot; shouldn't ever have crashed. But he made it very difficult. He tried to pin everything on me to get me, you know. To be fair, he would have taught me a lesson. But yeah, that put me off the traffic police. And again, it was meant to be. And I just put the traffic police to one side, and then um, I, I went for the the career in try to go for the career in motorsport and as Armel said to me I want to invest into you and you know look at me now I've not to blow me on trumpet I've got a good career and you know I'm I'm stable financially with with all everything I've done for myself so it's it's turned out all right at the minute yeah (laughs) so when you when you're getting your license and stuff were you doing that like five days a week type thing or was it were you uh, still working whilst that was happening no so by that time i'd been getting a bit of grief from the the unit next door uh, where i worked as well where i had the accident to the point where the lads who i worked with had to go and sort one of them out but that's another story they were they were pretty horrible they used to chase me out the car park and you know try and try and be smart and stuff i had no idea of what i was doing driving wise so i just couldn't you know live up to you know uh, driving decently i just didn't know what i was doing mm-hmm. but you know it that that was that was a difficult thing um but yeah the, the going for the license it was a five-day course at donnington park i remember and it was about two grand or something like that it's like an intense course yeah. so i kind of armel said just put your focus into this if you're gonna do something like this you need to focus and i was mm-hmm. like i'm 17 whatever do you know what i mean <laughs> Don't speak to me like that. You're six years older than me. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I know <laughs> everything. I know absolutely everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was me just fully focused. And, yeah, I got my license. As you do, it's pretty easy to get a race license. But everything else, it was the school bit of it that we paid extra for. Some good guys on that as well. That so was that teaching you how to drive? Yeah, so, yeah. It, yeah, so it, was a, it was an intense course where you're in single-seaters. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you have one-on-one coaches, and those people uh, like Ben Devlin, who's raced in America, and there was a guy called Spencer Marsh who raced in British touring cars with me. There was there was a few other guys. I'll tell you who else was in it. Sam Hignett, he was with us that day as well. Uh, <laughs> Sam Hignett runs, I think he runs Jota um, and runs the the LMP cars at Le Mans. Mm-hmm. So there were some brilliant guys there, um, and it was in, it was intense, but I learned so much from it, and it was it was really cool. But it, that was the main thing. If I'd have tried to dovetail it with work and i'll be honest with you i didn't really need to anyway because our mail was very good to me yeah if i'd have tried to be smart and tried to keep my feet on the ground as people would say I, i'd have lost my focus and I, so that's why i just went went all for it because i had nothing to lose i didn't want to be mel C's brother anymore i wanted to do something for myself 
Yeah, no, that's that's totally understandable. And and sometimes you need to get the the tunnel vision on mm. uh, and remove. Well, it's it's removing the other distractions. Yeah, and I had a lot of them. Um, it sounds like the work side of things would have been distracting. Not that, and that would have affected the focus. Not that you'd have like forgotten about things, mm. but it's just that the external influences would have just been. It sounds like quite quite intimidating at times. So yeah, you don't need that. <laughs> no, that, that's exactly. It. You put your blinkers on, and and I learned that from a very early age. You know, with 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 everything that was going on with my sister and my family. You know, we were getting we were still living in a terraced house, man. And there was people in the privets trying to take pictures of us from the yeah. sun. You know, that's the job. I understand that. As you get older, you understand it. But as a kid, I just wanted to go outside and smash him over the head with a broom. You know what I mean? Mm. That's, that's something that you just want to protect your family. But you learn that that's just people's job. And But my focus was I was so I was so intense about motorsport that I think my determination outweighed my talent because I've never had a talent for it. Never, ever had a talent for it. It's just all been about I need to get out of my sister's shadow. Not embarrassed of it but I just need to get out of it from a personal mental point of view. So that's you are what, your own person. You, that's what you try to do. Yeah. yeah and it, yeah. it is, it is funny these days when people don't even know. And if they were in an atomic kitten hat from atomic racing, atomic kitten racing in touring cars. And I, I say to them, Oh, that's nice. My sister will be happy you wearing that. And they're like, I don't get it. What? I said, Oh, <laughs> my sister was in the spice girls. Oh, I didn't know mate. Whatever. Anyway, sign this for us, mate. <laughs> it's awesome it is funny <laughs> so after you get your license what, is it, what were the next steps you you took did you start uh, racing then in some other uh, smaller series or how, how did it progress from there yeah so I got my license um, must have got it in must have been the back end of it was either the back end of 97 or early 98 I can't quite remember um and then the whole of 98, when I got my license, I kind of just sat around with it in my hand, wondering what to do next. I didn't have anyone guiding me. I didn't, I didn't know about motorsport. Mm-hmm. Everyone was trying to – people were ringing me who I'd never heard of before saying, um, you know, uh, not saying you're a walking checkbook, but that's what I think they had as, as a thought of me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then weirdly, this is a weird one. I spoke to Armel and she was asking me how I'd got on with it because she was away all the time. And I said, listen, yeah, I said, I don't know what to do. And she said, let me, uh, Bernie Eccleston's coming to one of our concerts. I'll speak to him. So she's, because his daughters um, were well into the Spice Girls. Anyway, I went to meet him and uh, he, he didn't go in the end, but then he rang me. How random is that? That's really, that's really brought back some memories. He, he rang me. Um, and spoke to me about he just he didn't know I didn't have a clue who it was and then he put me onto some other fella after having a brief conversation with me and then he put me onto another guy I can't remember his name and this fella was a manager of some sort and he was like okay uh, what carton have you done can we get you into Formula Three Thousand and I went um, I don't I don't think so mate I've done a few rounds of speed karting in Warrington which is the corporate place <laughs> up the road I said I wasn't very good at that either and he went okay no worries well let's keep in touch and that's the last I heard of him <laughs> <laughs> and then and then yeah it was a case of going forward a good friend of mine who I still speak to now from school he was working at a garage in Widnes and he said listen have you done anything with that race license and I said no and he went there's a guy here he's a fireman who comes in with his car he races at Alton I was like all right okay I got nothing to lose so I met up with Colin Edmonds and I owe it all to Carl actually he put me in touch with a team in Runcorn, who raced MGF Cup? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I ended up, I ended up racing with them for a year with the help of a guy called John Binkliffe, who raced in British touring cars. Yeah, uh, he put his name to the team at the same time I'd gone into it. We were very small, 
uh, small team, and did my first year of MGS. I was absolutely shocking. I'm <laughs> shocking. I was upside down on my side, on fire in the gravel. Um, but the last half of the year, somehow, when it rained, it rained quite a bit. And I used to get this thing from qualifying 28th and last. I used to get like in the top 10. And people were like, that's definitely bent, that car. Um, and then another, another team. It was the there. propeller on the back, was it? They gave it away. <laughs> yeah. It was a Brabham fan car, the MGF Cup. Um, so, so, yeah, after a year of that, I'd fell out with the team because they were. They were weird. They were trying to not not the not the team uh, from Runcorn because it, it was taken over by John. I just felt like they were trying to have me off with damage and stuff like that. Hmm. Uh, no, I was left to, to my own devices at the age of nineteen to sort my own racing out. So I had all this money in a bank from from my sister who'd got me a deal with OK Magazine, who paid for it all. She didn't even pay for me first year of racing. OK Magazine gave me eighty grand for a sixteen page feature, basically on my sister, but with me in it. Yeah. So yeah. I ended up just getting on with it and, and then I fell out with the team and then a, a gentleman now who's one of my best friends um, and I raced for for a long time in touring cars, um, a guy called Marvin Humphreys. Okay. He owned uh, a team called Tech Speed and he took me on board for my second year and lo and behold, we got on the podium. We led races. We had poles in the MGF Cup. Then people were like, that's definitely, definitely bent now. That's definitely, that's like having a TVR Tuscan in the MGF Cup. He did something <laughs> in a and yeah, he took me into touring cars. Uh, we bought two Peugeot 306s, British touring cars, off a company called um, Lee Racing, who were a factory team. Mm-hmm. And as I say, I got into touring cars and did the whole year. That was like a production Class B to, to the Class A cars that Plato and all them people were in, but it ran yeah. on the same race. And that was me then. I was on the podium. We were just, we were flying then. So in my third ever year, we were I don't know how we did it. Actually, looking back, we were just on it, and I was, I was fast, and I, I still don't know how I did it. I think it's just the focus. I, I had nothing else to do with my life. I just wanted to prove people so wrong that I just tried my hardest. You know, it was mm-hmm. good, good fun. So when you're, um, when you were doing the racing, particularly the the MG stuff, were you also getting coaching when you weren't racing, or how how were you developing your skills? Because it sounds like it started off really tricky. <laughs> Not very, <laughs> and and there was a crash course in the not poor choice of words there, but you you had you you came up against a, a steep learning curve. I think is how we'll phrase it better. I mean, how how much of a shock was that to the system that you know you look at the thing, you look at it from the outside, and you think, well, it's as we all do from an armchair. Uh, oh well, that's easy because you know, look at that, it's got, completely got that wrong. Oh, I'd never do that, etc. To I'm in there. Oh wow, this is actually quite tough, isn't it? It's. I tell you what, it is unreal. I, I'd never been to, I'd never been on a track day. We did one general test before the first ever race I did. And I actually did myself an injustice, actually. I qualified, I think I qualified 21st out of 28 people, which people just could not believe. Mm. Whereas I think my focus was shown early on because I had an argument with the team manager because I said, don't, don't take the mickey, mate. I said, that's appalling. And he said, you You've out-qualified a guy who's just been the champion in something or other I didn't even know of. I was like, right, he said, you might be three seconds off Warren Hughes, who was the guy who won the championship that year. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, but you would not believe how well you've done. People think you're definitely cheating. I said, oh, whatever. And I couldn't quite get that in my head. Mm-hmm. And I think that as shown from early on, when I think about it now, I was so focused and I didn't have any help to go back to your question. I've never once had anybody help me out which i which i absolutely rue now 
I'd rue it. No, no team around you to guide, advise, and point you in the right direction and get the right people to the, speak to you at the right time. The only thing, sorry, I've, 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 um, I've said the wrong thing there. I, I thought you were on about as a driving point of view. Nobody, nobody ever sat with me. Nobody. Oh no, no, I was. My original question was actually, you know, when you did you get specific driving teaching? Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, sorry. No, no, no. But like, like you said, and I'm glad you said it. Uh, there is, there is one person who's helped me out in all of this, who never got me, never had, you know, I never had any problem with people ripping me off. I never had anyone try and take me down the wrong alley. And it's one guy, and it's, Mar- it's Marvin Humphreys, who was a, uh, I, I repaid him by going back to them when I come back into touring cars later on mm-hmm. uh, for my last few years, giving them podiums and stuff. But he gave me, he was like my dad. He gave me the, the most direction you've ever known. He got sponsors for the team so I could run with him. He never, he's never let me down um, because motorsport is full of sharks and I've never been bitten by one once. And he taught me everything about motorsport and life. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be on ITV if it wasn't for him. He always, he always show me how to be respectful to everybody you meet. doesn't matter who they are in motorsport, in life, whatever. My mum and dad were good, obviously too, but in motorsport, it's a different game. And he, he showed me how to sniff out a rat as well, which is which has helped <laughs> in the long game. So <laughs> that that guy in particular has um, him and his wife Sandra they've been amazing. So you you didn't have any direct help in the car, um, so you you've uh, you've had to learn the hard way. <laughs> but yeah. did you do you find when you when you're racing do you find that you get in the groove that you you've I presume you have a particular style because you hear drivers are, are told they have styles. What's your style? It's a it's a funny one with my. I've I've always, when I'm coaching my own kids now, I always, I always try and get it into them that you've got every session that you're in, whether it's practice, qualifying, or the races. When you when you start off, you have to finish every session. Just fit, it doesn't matter if four cars come past you. Just finish every session because you just need the feeling of the rubber through the steering and your bottom and through the seat and through all your gyros, you're not going to feel that if you sat in the gravel. Mm. And, you know, uh, so that made me a person who I'm quite smooth and I'll, I kind of let, I'm quite a, a smooth character when it comes to driving. But if there's a sniff of a, of an overtaking maneuver and I know I can get it done, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll always have it. So I, <laughs> I think the racing yeah. driver comes to the fore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it it is it is a weird one, and I think that my driving style changed through through when I was in touring cars from my very first race in one to my very last race in in thirteen. Where you know, you, as you get more experienced, I think any driver would lie to you if they didn't say this. As you get more experienced, your style will change. You'll always have that inherent, you know, gung ho or uh, laid back or whatever, but. I just looked after my car and uh, and only got the moves done when it was a hundred percent on. But you know, just made all my experience count in the end. So yeah, I think I wasn't aggressive, um, and I was always a bit starstruck, if I'm very honest. Mm. Because the first touring car race I ever competed in in '01, I'd never seen, I'd never been to a touring car race. So when you pull out the garage and you're behind Jason Plato and you follow him down Paddock Hill Bend and there's a sea of 40,000 people at Paddock Hill Bend <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is like BBC Grandstand. I wonder if Steve Ryder's here. It's, uh, it's a bit weird because <laughs> Formula One and British touring cars were my Sunday and that yeah. was it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, did you, 
how long did that take you to get over it to a certain degree? Because obviously it's, it is tricky. I think when you meet people that, when you're particularly interested in something, you meet people that you've followed and watched from afar. I'm not sure you ever really get completely comfortable when you start chatting to them. even though they're normal people and they're nice and everything else there's there's possibly just still a little bit of reticence in in you talking to them because it's like oh, I remember watching you and you yeah. <laughs> how long did it take you to get over that enough to um to put it to one side when you're racing I'm going to be real honest with you here and this is this is probably going to be shocking 9 years I reckon <laughs> Yeah, I'm just thinking about it when you're asking because I remember, you know, 01 was a massive year for me and I used to come out the throttle and let the big boys pass because I didn't des- I didn't deserve to be in front of them in my mind. And then 02 and 03, I had Matt Neal, James Thompson and a Van Muller as my teammates at Vauxhall when I was a factory driver and those guys... Whatever happened to them, eh? Cool. Oh, I, I, I'm going to see James Thompson in Ibiza. <laughs> I know, yeah. All, all champions now, treble champions, double champions, world champions. And, you know, I didn't think I belonged uh, there. And James Thompson is one of my best friends now. That guy was my absolute idol. I remember him winning at Thruxton in his Vauxhall Cavalier, the mm. youngest ever touring car driver to win a race at the time, 21 years of age, absolute idol. And then, you know, I'm beating him. I'm, I'm battling with him for second in the championship, you know, uh, four races in, into the 2003 season. And and my, I lost it. My head went because he was, one, my friend now, but two, he was still that lad who stuck it around the outside of Cleland at Thruxton at church. And yeah. I didn't think I was ever, you know, good enough to do that. And that's what, that's why my career never, you know, I never made big money from it. And I, I kind of like, I was too honest, but yeah, it took me a long time. And, I come back into touring cars. I had a bit of time out because I, I got type 1 diabetes in 2004. So when I come back into touring cars properly in 2009, that's when it started to then not be a problem for me to stick one down the inside of James Thompson, drive Matt Neal off the track like he'd do to me, you know, headbutt Fabrizio Giovinardi out the way at Redgate to take the lead at Donington in the wet, all that stuff because I knew I only had one more chance at this and diabetes had held me back. Mm. I was, I was the, I was the best driver I've ever been. It was, it was, it was brilliant. I've had quite interesting stages in my career, but Oh nine and 10 were just phenomenal. Phenomenal. You've got sort of got the mental freedom. Yeah, mental freedom. I was with tech speed who was Marvin Humphreys. They got sunshine.co.uk as a sponsor. The sponsors loved me. The team loved me. The crowd were, so good to me everywhere I went everybody was cool because we were the underdog in a six-year-old car beating the factory teams mm. crying on the podium because I you know I'd finished third and it was the first time back in in touring cars with diabetes and it was just brilliant you know and you always look back on that and I don't regret anything a lot of people ask me have you got any regrets about racing I have not one regret privileged to be there did the best I could could have done any better never would have been a champion but just had the best time ever. It was just phenomenal. Loved it. Brilliant. Well, that's, that's refreshing to hear because so many people sort of dwell on dwell on the past and think if only could have, would have, should have, you know, the, the gamblers phrases. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and we all, you know, all things could have been different, but they weren't. And this is where we are. And this mm-hmm. is what happened. And sometimes it's, it you need to give yourself a pat on the back and, and actually take time to reflect on what, 
what you do and say, well, actually, thinking about everything that was happening, did bloody well, really, mm. you know, and I enjoyed it. So, you know, there's, it's, there's no, again, I think it's a British psyche, but there's no shame yeah. in being proud. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I think you're dead right, you know, and I think my family taught me that. Um, you know, for me, I can walk out this house today, walk down the street. I never have to look back. I don't know. I don't owe anybody anything. I've never, in my eyes, annoyed anybody with not paying them anything. You know, I left school never in my wildest dreams at the age of 16 did I think I'd ever see a racetrack. Mm -hmm. Did I ever think I'd be in a racing car? Did I think I'd ever compete in British touring cars? No. Did I think I'd ever win a race? No. Did I think I'd win two? No. Did I think I'd be on the podium 20 times or whatever? No. Did I think I'd be on ITV chatting with Steve Ryder and Tim Harvey, who I still get starstruck by? This is just, it's the dream, in it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, that's awesome. It's, it's always nice going to work when it's fun. Exactly. <laughs> it's something you enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> and it is fun with them lot. <laughs> well, talk, talking of the, the commentating and stuff, when did, when did you get into that and how did that happen? Yeah, that's, that's proper random, that, isn't it? It's funny, isn't it, that, um, so 2011 was my last year, full full time with, with British Touring Cars as a driver with, uh, with Tech Speed. And my loyal sponsors, Sunshine.co.uk, and also we had Go Mobile. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't exist anymore, actually. But um, we, the team was so focused on getting me a better car to drive. They bought they bought Jason Plato's championship winning car from that previous year, mm. the Chevrolet Cruze. And my teammate also was quite a wealthy guy, a guy called John George, and he brought sponsors to the job. And I was just, you know, I was in one of the best seats in the house, and one of the you know, the best platforms to work off to, to try and professionally get money in for wages. Yeah. But it's never the case. Touring cars was difficult to do that. So I was in a great place, but the, the rules just went against us in 2011. Um, we were normally aspirated with all the other Chevrolet cruises. Jason was in a new world touring car spec one. The BMWs, WSR, were, were normally aspirated as well. We were fighting the battle because the other cars were all uh, new generation turbocharged engines. And, mm -hmm. uh, they tried to equalize it, and it was just never going to happen. Because as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, turbochargers, you can strangle them, but you'll still always have more torque than a normal aspirated car. Um, and we had, I think we had three podiums, and it was just, Jason had quite a few wins, but he was so, he was so more experienced than me in the car. Um, and I only ever rattled him once, and it was at Rockin, and we finished one and two. Um, but, you know, I felt, you know what? I'll be honest, Andrew. I fell out of love with British touring cars that day. Um, the very be because of the, the because of the disparity and because of the fact that yeah. it wasn't fair. I I felt it wasn't it wasn't fair. Um, RML, who ran the Chevrolets for the factory team, um, helped us try to support Tech Speed as a type. We were the smallest car team on the grid. And I'm not saying that there was. I didn't even. We didn't even have a data engineer. I had Vic Drake, who was one of the best engineers you'll ever meet. He engineered Andy Rouse, um, all the guys in that team, Will Hort, all them people mm. he helped out. He was old school and brilliant. But touring cars had moved on, and the data was critical, and we just didn't have the money to pay for it. And, yeah. and I think I fell out. I love British touring cars, and I've always been more of a fan than I've been the racing driver. And I think it was it was time to call it a day when I – when I pulled into the pits at Silverstone and was like, this is not for me anymore. I was getting overtaken in a straight line. Mm. Jason was the same, but he just had so much more experience. And, I, you know, it, it was just difficult. So 
I left at the end of that year in 2011. And I'll be honest with you, there's a few races where I might not have been the man that, that people would think you'd be. And I, I actually got very upset and, you know, I'd have a cry and I'd be like, I just don't want to do it anymore. And mm. two matches, it was like my dad, he, he'd hug me and he'd go, Paul, what do you want to do? And I'd get me mate James Thompson in the car. He wasn't driving at the time. I said, just get James to drive it. But he made me stay there. And, and at the end of it, I just I got fed up and I lost love with it. But what I did do, which was a, a right masterstroke, was Autosport rang me, mag- the magazine rang yep. me and said, uh, what's the score? And I said, I'm going to go on record here and say I'm, I'm out because I'm quite cutthroat like that. I said, I've retired from touring cars. I won't be pursuing a career in it. Luckily for me, and I didn't know this, but the, the series editor of ITV Sport for British Touring Cars, he he looked in it and I think Steve Ryder had shown him the article saying O'Neill retires from British Touring Cars, blah, blah, blah. And he rang me and he said, would you be interested in, in helping us out um, as a roving reporter? You won't be able to have the shirt, but you just turn up in your cities <laughs> and we'll see what you like. And uh, yeah, so I went down to Brands Hatch for the first round and they just interviewed me on uh, for the reverse grid. Um, and Steve, you know, was asking what happened and I told him and I was dead honest. And then, uh, yeah, the next round at Donington, they give me a microphone, what they call an Eng camera, which is, uh, you probably know, or the viewers might know as well, it's uh, it's recorded, it's VT, it isn't live. Mm-hmm. It's a cable, so they uh, they just record it and send it back to the truck. So they had loads of time that they needed filling, so they give, them, they give me the task of doing it, didn't they? So it was probably one of the worst decisions they could have made, but... <laughs> <laughs> what letting you loose with the microphone yeah, and the camera and say, "Go make some stuff for us, please." <laughs> I just knew it was going to be a total disaster, or ITV Sport would get fined. But I remember having the conversation before going down and saying yes. I was shaking my head, saying no, when he was asking me on the phone, "Do you want to do it?" But I was saying yes, shaking <laughs> my head. And I always remember there was a quote from Richard Branson saying, "Always say yes to things, and if you don't know about it, just learn how to do it." And I just thought, you know what? There's a, there's a lot more things I've done in my life that have made me more anxious and nervous of this, so I'll uh, I'll go with it. And it was probably it's probably the best decision I've ever made in my whole entire life. It's been great, really, really good. But that, I mean, that's a heck of a way to to learn a learn a, a new uh, a new craft is uh, in the, right in at the deep end on 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 the uh, you know the one of the flagship motorsport series on British TV. Right now, off you go. Now learn how to go and do it, please. <laughs> So you know, like today, people would be doing this for you know months or years on YouTube first, wouldn't they? <laughs> with, exactly. with no viewers and finding their own mistakes, you've got to do it with everyone watching. <laughs> I know, and you know the worst thing is, is that there was a there was a round at Thruxton. It was the it was the second round I'd done, and they told me that I was going to have to go live because of the time constraints and also the um, the advert breaks had to be in at a certain time. So they made these like microphone things up for my ears uh, sorry earphones not microphone um sound like murray walker don't i <laughs> earphones in and uh, they said paul we're gonna have to throw throw to your live so this is what will happen steve will say blah 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 blah. okay over to paul uh, what's happening and you'll hear cue paul anyway it's a random story and it's on youtube but oh my i nearly got them in so much trouble i basically um <laughs> this is terrible so they come to me and i've gone oh hi guys we're just gonna meet up with a few people in the crowd because it's very wet today and I'm having a nightmare. I can I know that it's live and you're looking down a camera to 800,000 people live and I'm thinking this is horrendous. And I said, um, okay, let's go and speak to some people. And it was just the usual questions, wasn't it? You know, who are you supporting today? Blah, blah, blah. And this guy sticks his fag in his mouth and he's not really answering me. 
And then uh, he puts his fag out and he says, oh, Plato, Plato, this, Plato, that. And I was like, oh, that's good. And it's like, it's raining and the races have been stopped. So we've got loads of time and we have to fill it. Mm. And uh, he said, um, I turned around and I seen this tent open. It was at the first corner. Allard people have these tents where they were just like taking shelter. And this, this older gentleman, this older gentleman uh, opened the tent and he was about 70. And there was a, a kid with him who was about, I don't know, he must've been about eight, nine or something like that. And I've, and, this is typical witness. This is just me trying to be like the funniest man alive. So I've turned around and said, "Oh, are these reprobates with you?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's Granddad. It's his it's his birthday present." I went, "Oh, right, okay." And I went in the tent and I'll I'll tell this story and it's not it's not crude, but it's it could be if you took it the wrong way. I said, uh, "Oh, hi, are you Granddad?" And he said, "Yeah, I'm Granddad." And I turned to the lad and I said, "Oh, are you his birthday present?" And he said, uh, "No, I'm his uh, grandson." And Steve Ryder. <laughs> My word, I heard him in my ears on talk back going, Oh my god. And they just said, Throw to, throw to Steve, throw to Steve. So, and this was before everything bad happened with yeah. everything you know in the news. This was 2012. I'd have never got away with it now, and I wouldn't ever do it now because I'm too professional for that. But I got called into the truck, and the producer said, That was one of the worst but funniest things I've ever seen. If we get a fine, you're in big trouble and yeah, don't ever do that again don't ever do that again. and that was <laughs> well lesson. done but don't do that again please <laughs> yeah so i uh, i never thought to be that funny again but to be fair if i'd have known what was happening in you know in the world at the time and yeah, and yeah. prominent yeah. which it wasn't it actually wasn't well no because that's that's part of the reason it was so shocking is that we didn't know exactly how that... much was going on and how rife it was yeah exactly so it was it was uh, it was a lesson learned and you know but but ITV Sport, Simon Parry in particular, they have had some beautiful messages off the off Simon Parry, the old series editor. He said it was one of the and he works on Champions League, he works on the tennis, he gets the pundits in from everywhere, and he said, sent me a lovely text last year saying he'd left uh, ITV Sport and he said, You're one of the he said, I took a massive risk on you and people were asking me questions. Alan Gow, the series director, asked me questions. My boss at ITV Sport asked me questions and he said you're one of the best uh, pundits that, and you know, people that we've we've paid to be on the show, and you give such a, an honest opinion. And I think that's a love, what a lovely thing to say. And you and you take that on board, don't you? So you'd be you'd be happy hearing that. That's for sure. That you, yeah, <laughs> you get, especially considering the people he's worked with as well, and that that you get that that is that is awesome. But I think that's part of the appeal um, when when they do cut to you. Uh, in you know you're doing the, the 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 stuff that fills the time but as well as when they're you're all stood together and discussing topics i think as part of the appeal is that it's it is so honest and it is uh it is a bit of fun and you you're clearly just being you mm-hmm. and it helps you know because because racing can get very very serious understandably mm-hmm. because there's lots of money in it but it's meant to be fun as well and that and that i think is refreshing to see on the TV, that when there's when you know mayhem's going on, people are still having fun and enjoying it. So you know you 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 need to if you don't already, but pat yourself on the back for. And don't, this will be the only time I'm complimentary, by the way, because I you know I'm British, so you know we can't have too much of this. But you need to pat yourself on the back for the for what you do and how you do it, because it is it is it does help make the whole spectacle entertaining and good to watch. Yeah, no, I pre- I really appreciate that because you know you never you never have a I don't know how people perceive me. People have all been very good to me, but I was always told quite early on because I suffer with bad anxiety. So the, the stuff on the TV 
I really, I really don't want to. This is a bad thing to. I really don't want to do it sometimes. And I've had to stop outside the circuit and ring people with an ITV spawn and say, listen, I can't come in. You're going to have to sort something out. And they'll just try and bring you in gradually to get rid of that anxiety. It's mm-hmm. more when I'm one-to-one with the camera. But, you know, I've learned how to control that to a point, but I still get it. And, you know, it's nice to hear when people say, you know, you're doing a good job, this, that, and the other. But I did speak to somebody about it, a good friend of mine who, who uh, works at um, Speed, Speedworks Motorsport, who run the Toyotas. And then mm-hmm. uh, he just said, you know what your problem is, mate? I said, what's that? And he said, you're not being yourself. I said, right, okay. This was early on. And I said, right, okay, so I should be myself then. And he went, yeah. He said, if you don't want to shave, don't shave. He says, they've got a problem with it. Just don't listen to them. He said, do what you want to do, obviously in a professional manner, and just be yourself. And that was the best advice anyone's given me for TV. Mm. And that's that's what I do now. I, I try not to offend, and I hope I ever do. But the other thing is as well, I just try and be myself. But I am serious as well, because I've got passion for the for the championship. And it's great. And Steve Ryder's been very good to me as well. He helps me out with quite a lot of things. So I've got a good bunch of people around me and it's, you make of it what you can, don't you? And, um, yeah. and if you enjoy what you do. Before you go to any races, do you do, I'm presuming you do a fair amount of prep before the races. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, because of the weight and the tires and, and everything else that goes on, I, it's a lot easier now to do prep actually. I mean, because I look after the, I'm a co-commentator on the Ginetta Juniors and the Ginetta GT4 Championship as well, mm-hmm. which is on the package. That takes up most of my time prepping yeah. because touring cars is so in my face online. It's just easier to do it these yeah, days. Yeah. You know what it's like? It, you know, Back in the day, I'm sure you just would have had a notebook flat out. But I kind of go off the cuff with a lot of my stuff, but I always make sure that it's, that it's the right information. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, all the teams and the drivers are so good with me. They're so good. They're very, very good. And if I need to know anything technical, Tim will always tell me, you know, and if I need to find anything else out to do with a team or to, to do with a driver, Louise Goodman's always good to me as well because she gets on with a lot of the drivers professionally because she helps mm. them with media training as well. So, okay. we, yeah, we work as a team. And to be fair, the drivers and teams work with us as well. So we're very, we're very lucky. Well, it sounds like everybody understands that the idea is to make this spectacle as engaging and open to everyone as possible. So by helping each other, you're, you're helping the whole thing. That's exactly it, you know. And, and that's, my, that's kind of my, um, my way of looking at life. That's why I'll never I – I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that I actually hate. Even if they've done something not very nice to me, I'll always give them a second chance. Because well, that's because you're a nice person. <laughs> you, know, you never know when you patter them across and yeah, you know what's yeah. really funny just quickly i remember there was a, the lads that bullied me in college i remember seeing them in 2004 this is six seven years after i was in college i'd won a couple of races in touring cars i just stopped with diabetes and i seen them in a nightclub in warrington mm. i was like oh no i've not seen these guys for ages one of the lads who was the main guy he was horrible i was like oh, i don't need this i was on me all my mates had gone I'd walked, tried to walk past him. One of them shouts me. I was like, oh, I just ignored him. He comes over, grabs me by the, grabs me by the head, and he's like, all right, Paolo. He said, uh, can we just say sorry for what we said and what we did to you? Let's buy you a drink. My dad loves you. Um, watches you on the telly at the weekends. And I had the best night. Like It was just great. And I love that. And, you know, I, I take that away with me in life now. If, mm-hmm. if there's someone that you're not too sure about or they've done something, you know, you've got to give them a second chance because people don't mean to be horrible. 
some people do, but you just got to give them a chance. So you're just learning all the time, aren't you? But I thought that was a that was a cool thing. Yeah, no, that is that's very nice that <laughs> somebody could admit they're wrong because it's very difficult yes. for 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 you to admit that you you're wrong about something and how you've behaved, and it's that's not easy for people to do, and not many people do it. So no, that's that's fantastic. Talking about the TV though, mm. it, now it's it's on ITV4. And it's uh, so if you've got Freeview, FreeSat, Sky, all that sort of stuff, you can you can watch it in the UK, um, which is great that it is on telly. You know, it it, it is Sunday basically when it's on, which is awesome. <laughs> From what is it about half ten in the morning, isn't it? Typically till the yeah. last the end of the last race about six o'clock. So that's brilliant. My oh. wife doesn't always think that, but I I do. <laughs> How can motor racing considering all the other pressures of life and everything else that's going on at the minute how can motor racing continue to remain relevant and attractive to audiences because you look at what's happened with f1 and that's now going behind a paywall except for highlights which mm. we all hope doesn't happen to touring car and some people are saying that that's possibly a mistake with f for f1 mm. uh, amongst many other decisions that have been made in the recent years how can motorsport remain relevant because we've had motors tv shut down as well um mm. on on the telly what what can motorsport do to keep the audiences it's got and grow them it's a difficult one isn't it i think we're in a and by the way if we if we come up with if you come up with the solution here is we'll create a company <laughs> and we'll sell this to everybody <laughs> i don't know if we can deal with any more tax for limited companies <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a it's a very good question and you know isn't it isn't it really weird what kind of state automotive and motorsport is in like the step change and this is me talking from a professional point of view to do with uh, automotive training that I do mm. nobody knows if electric is the way forward nobody knows if hybrid is the way forward no one knows if plug-in hybrid is the way forward people just there's such a massive step change coming to to automotive that mm. People just don't know which way to go, um, and it's caught a couple of man. Well, it's caught a lot of manufacturers out, and touring cars is no different. They've brought forward now their hybrid kind of era that they're going to start. Mm -hmm. mm. But I just think, going back to your question, Alan Gow has got it absolutely nailed, where he knows that people seem to have a shorter attention span these days because of social um, media and online stuff, that people just want to see short bursts of massive action. And Touring Cars is probably well behind in technology and you know stuff like hybrid and things like that. Yeah. But at the same time, the majority of people probably love the fact that Alan Gow's in charge because he's keeping the combustion engine and the pure nature of, what should drive the wheels of a car, which people think, you know, in, in the right direction. That'll obviously change as we go through the years, but I just think he's onto a winner. Mm -hmm. Every story with Alan Gow and British touring cars, and don't get me wrong, me and Alan don't see eye to eye over everything. I'm not his, I'm not going to blow smoke too much to him, but <laughs> I just think he's, he's, he's excellent in what he does. He gives the punters, um, the, the working man on the street, who probably watched the championship more than anybody else as a demographic. Mm. He gives them what they want. And I just think every story that comes out of the touring car website is a good news story. And I mm. just think that people want good news and they want action. 
And I think the fact that I think touring cars is one of the only now, is it, that mainstream TV championships, Formula One's gone. Uh, Formula E is this season oh, just started BBC, now on BBC, but uh, and it was on Channel Five. It was, wasn't it? It was on Channel yeah. Four as well a while ago, wasn't it? As yeah, well, yeah. And it's you can get, well Formula E you can get on many ways now this season, but you can get it on YouTube. You can get it on Quest, uh, Eurosport, and BBC, whether on the actual TV or Red Button or iPlayer. Well, that's well, that's perfect, isn't it? And do you know what's really sad, to be honest? I've not actually sat down and watched a Formula E race, and I need to because, not just because I need to know what's going on, I just see so many good things about that championship. The way they've engaged the fans is... I just think it's brilliant. If you... Formula E is not comparable to Formula One, and people want to do that because the cars look remotely similar, and it's called Formula and things like that. But they are they, Formula E isn't really Formula One with a battery, although there are so many comparisons. But they are poles apart in how they deal with the fans, yeah. and what they try and what they experiment with to get more engagement to get to make it fun and attractive to people to watch. I mean, on, on the, on the merchant podcast, we, we follow formula E quite a lot. We really like it. And this season it's the gen two cars, which means there's no swap midway through the race to a second car. So they go on one, one car all the way through the races now. So mm-hmm. um, I would, I would thoroughly recommend you do giving that a, 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 a look, see and highlights are still on telly. I think they're on uh, the iPlayer as well at the minute. So if you get a chance, have a have a have a gander at that because it's the teams are now having to adjust in how they do things because there's something called an attack mode, which is a little bit gimmicky, which everyone has to use once in the race where it gives them an extra burst of speed. It's a, it's almost a bit like the um, Joker lap in Rallycross. Mm-hmm. It's it's, a, it's it's that sort of thing that everybody has to do this. And I, did see I, that. I don't think the teams to... have worked out when it's best to use that or how it's best to deploy that in different circumstances yet because it was only race one at the weekend. Uh, yeah, because don't they, they use a different line, don't they, or something? Yeah, they have to hug the outer edge of a corner to get it activated because that... they've got to go over a couple of lines. That was it. But that's, that, that makes the teams think. I think mean, that was brilliant. I mean, I'm very, very good friends with Alexander Sims. Oh, yeah. And uh, Nicky Shields as well. I, mm-hmm. I've done a bit of work with and those guys just they absolutely adore it and you know i i just think they're in such a good place they're in such a good place what they're doing and like you say it's it's miles apart from formula one i think they've done that on purpose because it has to be it's just a completely different thing and don't get me wrong i watch formula one now and again but i'm one of these people who watched it in the 90s when i'll say that it looked like it was harder to drive it was this that and the other yeah yeah yeah, absolutely people people evolve and they just make things easier Mm. you know it is it's amazing, but I'm just a big fan of British touring cars because it's it's action. It's I know how hard they are to drive. They're on a knife edge. The, there's characters. Oh, it's just everything that 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 got me in love with the championship. It's still there after like you know twenty odd years of watching it. So it is it's mega. Do do um do then does there need to be race series? Trying to speak in English here. Does there need to be race series that are or more race series that are accessible to people at the lower end of the, you know, the financial side of things. I mean, there's there's things like there's the C1 racing, mm. which is amazing to watch. Uh, I'm, and I've been, uh, people who listen to the show will know that I was lucky enough to help in a um, a pit that did, uh, for a team that did C1 racing at the Race of Remembrance in Anglesey two years ago. Mm-hmm. And 
it was just amazing that the, the camaraderie for starters, because I'd never been in a pit lane, so I, d- I had no idea, but the camaraderie between the teams and the way everybody mucked in and the way everyone was enjoying it whilst taking it seriously was so brilliant and so far removed from what I expected. It was, it was, it was wonderful. And the fact that they are so slow. Yeah. <laughs> things are so slow. Because you'd see all the other cars go zooming past and then eventually this, this, this almost silent car in comparison would come past, or this group of them. <laughs> um, but I believe there's going to be a Ford K series, mm-hmm. or there is one already for, you know, again, doing these sort of daft 24-hour endurance racing in these silly cars. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, trying to open it up to get more people in at the bottom is is something that needs to be done, or do you think that's already well catered for? No, I think you're right. You know, I know a lot of lads who I nearly raced in the C1 in the 24 hour at Rockingham, but I couldn't do it. Um, I was at a friend's um, wedding, and it was a professional drive. To be fair, you know, they, they offered me money to do it. Um, I'll be really honest with you. I do the only racing I do now is is club stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I don't get paid for it. I do it because I love it. I, like you say, I love the camaraderie. I think there needs to be more of the Ford car challenge and there needs to be more of the C1 stuff. So, Sorry, just can I ask my ignorance, what is club racing? Uh, club racing to me is, you know, championships that are springboards to, to professional racing, like, okay. you know, like MGF Cup, mm-hmm. you know, MX5 Super Cup that they have now. Um, C1 would be classed as club championship. Okay, right. All that kind of stuff because, you know, if we don't have that, we don't have the the people who are in British touring cars at the top level, you know, trying to make a living. And in British GT, these guys have to learn somewhere. And yeah. there's there's never as as long as supply and demand, you know that Andrew. And I think that as long as these grids are full, which they seem to be just exploding everywhere, I think we just need to make sure that you know there's there's different opportunities for different people. And I go on a lot of track days with clients, and I do a lot of general tests, and it's great. It, the most interesting people I ever meet in motorsport are from the club, the club stuff mm-hmm. they they've worked hard. They see it as enjoyment first and maybe a career second. And that that's how you should look at it because that's what I did. As much as I was focused, I still made sure I enjoyed it. And the you've reason you've got to I, like it. Otherwise it, do exactly, something else because exactly. you're, you're not going to give your best or be the best that yeah. you can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's, what's, what's better than, What's better than doing a 24-hour race with a load of lads and girls, you know, having the right crack throughout the race? Or you've done this, you've done that, you've taken the mickey out of someone who couldn't get out of the car because he's a big lad, a bit like me. You know what I mean? That, that for me, is, is what it's about. And that, that's what will drive, um, you know, the, the lower reaches of motorsport up. And it's the same with Race Remembrance. I've done it twice, loved it, thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Just the camaraderie is excellent. And that's what it all should be about, firstly. Yeah, no, completely agree with my massive experience of two races. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> um, do you think if you'd been growing up now with the technology we have for people to do simulator stroke gaming consoles, that would have made a difference to you? Definitely. The reason I say definitely is because I did something called gt academy in association with nissan yep. in 2014 i was the one of the head judges with johnny herbert mm-hmm. on channel four and i was a massive skeptic of all that because 
I can drive a simulator and I'm absolutely rubbish. Um, but I can pedal around and I can be decently quick. What I seen from those people who'd won won the chance to be in the final of the competition, um, I had to sit in with them. Um, you know, watch what they did around the track. Mm. I could not believe how good they were. I couldn't believe, and and I'd say if I had that kind of input and I was that that way inclined to look at a TV screen and, and learn everything and be flat out with it, I would have been better. The really interesting comment I had was from uh, Jan Mardenborough, who, if nobody knows, he's a factory Nissan driver, was the second winner, I think, yep. of GT Academy. Lad from Cardiff, really good guy. Get on with uh, Jan. He, um, I said, what's the sketch here, mate? How can you be this good? Like, you only just drive off a computer screen. It's like escape, delete, whatever it is, control, alt, delete. And he said, he said, mate, he says, driving a car with everything you feel through your hands and your gyros, he said, that, that's the bonus. We don't have that when we're sitting in a seat looking at a screen. He said, so this is just, this is a bonus. I was like, wow, that's a way to look at it. They're absolutely amazing. So the Sims are just unbelievable, aren't they? And all these kids coming up through the ranks now, they're just all on Sims. You know, iZone at Silverstone, all this kind of stuff. It's huge. I've got friends who are coaches. They're coaching people on Sims now. I've done it myself. It's weird and less dangerous. <laughs> well, yes, there, there's less chance of uh, bruising and headbutting things. Still, so that's still, a, that's an upside. I still wince when it's going towards the barriers, though. <laughs> well, yeah, that's because you experience it, though. You've experienced yeah. it. But I mean, talking. I mean, if you look at the esports, uh, you said that the because um, that was Gran Turismo, wasn't it, with the Nissan one? Um, there's there's Forza Racing uh, Championship. Um, they've just completed last uh, this year's. 2018's uh, race things and the prize money for that was well people will probably um, be gobsmacked by the I think it was £100,000 in prize money for the for winning the season mm-hmm. and then there's invitationals and stuff like this it's, it is big big business and these people are putting in serious hours to do it so it's not just you know spotty youths sitting there not getting any fresh air I mean these people are dedicated and, and you know it's similar to or the same as um, racing drivers for tracks is they're putting in lots of hard time to yeah. hone their skills. And and if that can be translated to the track, which hopefully these race games do then get people to go and try it out for real, mm-hmm. um, that that I, I see that as another way that can be tied in. Because all the, all the Formula One teams have um, sim developers, don't they now? Mm-hmm. And things like this, because that 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 can save them so much time and money, because they've got someone who's dedicated to sims giving them the feedback, because that, that's their language. They can give them feedback that allows them to not have to put something on a track with the whole paraphernalia that causes to mm-hmm. get them to drive round and round and find out things going wrong or right or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's it's um you know my granddad, bless him, if he was still alive, he'd call them addicts. He'd call them. <laughs> He'd call them TV addicts. Get off that. That's ridiculous. Get outside. Go and play football. I see them as focused, um, professional individuals. And I look after a young kid in Mini Challenge. He's 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a kid called Lewis Gaylor. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be a star. He's amazing and really down to earth lad. Anytime we go to a track, sometimes I forget to ask him, um, "Have you been here before? You know what do we need to look for?" Blah blah blah. 
so we'll come in after the first session and I'm like, you know, um, just need to pinch the apex a bit earlier. Don't have too much lock on. Don't do this. Don't do that. But this will be good. I said, um, I said, looks like you've improved since maybe you were here last time. And he's like, I've never been here. I'm like, what? So these kids, all they see is they just go on the, they do 100 laps on a simulator mm. and then they turn up at the circuit and they honestly leave the pit lane like they were there last week and they'd never been there. But well, that, that it, takes one step of the learning out, out of it, doesn't it? They know the track, so they don't have to learn that. Okay, they're going to have to learn because that's not something that can be replicated unless the, the rig is incredibly expensive but they can't get the real feel for changes in altitude and mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff uh, but they can get the lines they'll know the lines and where the where the apexes are and stuff like that so it means they're only then having to learn the car and how it handles on this track mm-hmm. now in this condition whereas back for you it was learn the track and learn the car <laughs> there is yeah. so much more input needed it was everything. And, you know, I remember going to Thruxton for my first ever visit. I'd never seen the place. You couldn't go on YouTube. There wasn't YouTube back then. So you go out and it's just like you're on an airfield. And it took like 20 laps to realize, you know, that corner wasn't the same as the one before. And you were getting all confused. The game has changed massively. And these kids are not stupid. Mm. Um, you know, they're very clever individuals now. And they, they take it very seriously. And like Formula One, they just evolve, you know, and they cut. They cut out a lot of things, uh, the learning process. And like you were saying about e-gaming, that's a massive thing from what I'm seeing and hearing. And that's something I would myself look into, you know, because there's a commentary job there. If yeah. there was, you know, if somebody wanted you to do it, there's stuff to do. And it's it's just changing massively. And that's why it's always good to have a third party looking out for you, mm. seeing these opportunities, because I would get, I would get so... Uh, blinkered by all the work that I was doing that I wouldn't realize what was going on so well for the for talking of commentating for the Forza Racing Championship um they had oh gosh I'm so bad I've forgotten his name off uh, Radio Le Mans oh okay uh, he's he's been on and commentating because they they pick a variety of different cards and different mm. tracks and then you know these in this uh, format they are chucked in and go right this is the car you're going to have. This is the track. These are the conditions. Off you go. And it's not like it's they are specialising in single seater or they're specialising in WEC cars. It could be any of them. I mean, it could they've they've raced in Subaru Brats, in um, in uh, stadium trucks as well as single seaters, as well as uh, touring cars, as well as you know all this sort of stuff. And they're going around all these phenomenal tracks that mm-hmm. we we know, as well as the made up ones that they have on the on the game. Um, but they're getting, you know, they're throwing proper money because they're getting the the chap off Radio Le Mans to come and commentate. Yeah, it's crazy. That that's that must be John Hindhoff, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that is unreal. I mean, John's a great commentator, and that just shows you he's, you know, he's world class, and to to attract people like that is amazing. I've watched one of the e races, and it's because I always think, oh, it's going to be like, you know, when you go on fours or seven, and some Spanish kid who's about twelve, and his mum's calling him for his tea through the Xbox <laughs> Kinetic as he just piles in the side of you in a second gear corner in 19th gear i always think it's going to be like that but they all get through the first corner and then i'm like oh this is interesting and it looks like a real race they no just- they are the, the the people at the top end are incredibly skilled at the at the pointy end that go to these these championships because uh, um i keep going on about forza racing because i have i've had ali tack on who is one of the commentators for the series as well mm-hmm. and he does live streaming for forza racing um that goes out on twitch youtube all these various video streaming systems mm-hmm. and um it, it is amazing how everyone does get through 
because they are so good that they know what's happening and generally they are not piling into each other unlike the public lobbies that you and I will go on where it's oh can I be at the back so that no one hits me in the first corner please as your man ghosts past you at about yeah. 7,000 miles an hour it's a, it's a different ball game isn't it oh, to everything the, just everything's changed. I remember playing playing Indy 500 on my Amiga 500. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's, the game has changed, and these kids don't know how good they've got it. But in the next 20 years, it'll be a, it'll be a different ball game again. They won't they won't even be sitting in racing cars properly. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I can I can see the this the esports side of things developing alongside, you know, actual uh, physical racing, mm-hmm. and being just as popular, um, <laughs> which. Which again, it's then it's tapping into that interest and passion to make sure that it does transfer across. Because we all want to still see cars racing around tracks and everything. I mean, even though we're we're losing, we've lost a track this year in Rockingham, which is very yeah. sad. Mm-hmm. Um, this can become a giant car park, which is brilliant, just what we need. Mm. Um, so, so I mean, that's such a shame because it was such a great facility as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's making sure that we've through the various types of racing that go on that people are still attracted to going to the races race tracks and watching it and smelling it and hearing mm-hmm. it and seeing it not just through a screen um you know, mm-hmm. that, that that's that has to be the one of the worries i suppose all these race series have is uh, encouraging you know making sure that the fans turn up yeah i mean you it's a very good point you know someone was talk asking me about rocking them the other day Tim Harvey got a slating on the television for saying it was soulless, it was this, it was that. You know, Tim was just being honest, um, you know. and it, What him. you see on the telly is you see massive stands that are empty. Exactly, yes. And there's there's reasons behind everything, isn't there? But yeah. me, for one, I was absolutely devastated. One, because it was a track that was always good to me. Two, that the people who worked there were proper motorsport people who were old school and they, you know, they just ran it really, really good. There was flaws with it. I understand that. But you know what the, the main thing was? And I spoke, I went to the BRDC lunch the other the other week and I'm a, I'm a member, so I speak to quite a lot of the drivers. And we were just saying, the shame of it is there will never be, a, I can't think of another racetrack that's going to be built. So if we lose no. one, we never get one back. No. And that is the be all. And like you say, it has to be a physical and a uh, an emotional attachment. That's how people live, you know. Mm-hmm. And we are screen or screen orientated, but still, you know. I always remember my first time at a racetrack. I think it was 1993. My mum and dad saved for about six months to uh, let me sit at Woodcote to watch um, Formula One. <laughs> and I remember them going off for the green flag lap, and I nearly cried because the vibrations through my head were mm-hmm. just horrendous. And I will never forget that. Never forget it, and that's what that's what people who are new to motorsport or even not new to motorsport need to feel. They need to feel an attachment because if it goes to electronic and digital, you know we're going to lose a lot of people. And just while we're on the point of that, I worry about marshalling because you know I, I go to a lot of racetracks, and the guys in Orange, the girls and the boys in Orange, are just phenomenal people. They're yep. phenomenal. They're there for the right reasons. And I know it's like a cliche, but if they weren't there, we wouldn't race full stop. Yeah. I don't think there's enough being done to see the new generation coming through because once the guys and the girls who can't do it anymore leave, there's going to be a massive void and we're going to have big problems. And yeah. we need to make sure that the marshals that come now, the same applies to the youngsters who are coming through. They go there because of the smell, the sound, the meeting the people, 
like me being starstruck with with certain drivers and stuff like that that's the feeling you need and that that's what i worry about the most about motorsport in the in in the uk and maybe in the world is the next generation of people looking out for us to to be there you know but i I think that ties in with our very early on when we were talking about schools and and people being shown how it's connected or how you can get into different into something you love but through a different route that you perhaps wouldn't expect so it's 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 helping to sell it that look you love racing Mm. this is a way that you can be there for the racing yes and and help as well um and that's i mean that's for the the pr campaigns and Mm. and you know that's for people like me and the other drivers and the other people within motorsport to make sure that they give their they give back what what you know um what they've had and i think sometimes we all get a bit focused on work and we don't give back and that's something for for me to actually look at as a person um and a lot of other drivers and ex-drivers need to do the same and and you know what's really cool and i think is a great thing i met dave richards at the um at the msn uh rally champs that i i do commentate Mm -hmm. i do race in it sometimes it's like it's very you know it's a it's a club championship it's mega dave richards the the new face of uh, the MSA now they you know they've rebranded and done everything, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it needed to be done. Uh, I've quickly spoken to him with a friend of mine, Jack Benyon, who's uh, one of the autosport writers, and um, I said, "Oh, what are you doing here, David?" And he's like, "Just want to see what's going on in there uh, in the grassroots of things." He sat in a rally car. He sat mm-hmm. in and navigated. I just think with someone like him in charge, we're we're gonna be okay. And I know he's an older generation fella, but he's been there, done it. And he'll have a team of people who will sort us out, I think, going forward. But we can't stop at that. We just need to, you know, if we love it, we need to give something back as well. And that's what yep. people need to do. Yep. No, that's uh, very wise words. Okay. I think on that point, because I'm conscious I'm taking up all your, your day here. But on that point, I'd, I'd like to um, have a quick blast through your car history. Yeah. So was the Fiesta 1.1 your first car? It was my first car, yes, from Glebe Garage, I think it was, in Witness. What a snot <laughs> rocket that was. <laughs> I remember it had five gears, and when you put it into fifth on the motorway, it went slower. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, kids today, they don't know the born. You know, they, don't have, they didn't have to go through all these trials and tribulations. Yeah. What's a H-pattern gearbox? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so what did you move on to after the Fiesta? Oh, what did I, I had a, I had a, oh, my God. I had a Corsa GSI, a red one. Ooh, well, that's yeah. they're faster. We all know red cars are yeah. faster. Yeah, that didn't do a lot of wheel spin in that thing, did it? Had TSW blades on it, which were just horrible. And if you if you looked at a grid or a pothole, it just snapped the wheel in half. <laughs> um, it was lowered with sack suspension on it from the garage I worked at. You're not like just turning into a cliche here at all, are you? Oh, I was a massive chav. I'll say it for you, Andrew. <laughs> I was a massive chav, and I I, I remember the base box in the back was so loud it used to rattle my number plate and get me a lot of what do you call them things that you get off the police they just give you a sign thing you have to go and show your documents oh uh, yeah yeah i know got what a you funny mean. word for it but yeah I, that was yeah that was a real snot rocket as well that thing i didn't have any good cars actually until i am a bmw friend of the brand so i get i get a new car off bmw every nine thousand miles uh, which i never thought i'd ever have a new car in my whole life when I was younger because my dad always used to have like an E-Reg Cavalier that just about getting to work and back. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that that uh, that Corsa was back in the day, and 
got some pictures of it somewhere, put some bonnet bents on it as well. It was horrible. <laughs> so what was after the the, uh, the speed rocket? Oh my god! What was it? Oh, I got um. Oh, this was one of my favourite cars. I got after this was a Saxo VTS sixteen valve. Now they were quick because they didn't weigh anything. Oh god! Tell you what, that thing was scary. It was hundred and twenty brake. It was just the best thing ever. My mates told me to take the spare wheel out the back. Worst thing I could have done because then I lobbed it off around a roundabout. It didn't have any weight. You ruined up. the weight distribution. <laughs> yeah, she was a she was a bit of a fighter. She was. Um, and my sister bought me that, I think, when I was 18, my 18th birthday. It was an R-Reg, and it just, uh, I remember it lasted about 30,000 miles, and it just dissolved. It was a typical French piece of rubbish that was. So fast, loved it. I'd love to have it now, and I'd rally it. I'd actually won rally it in the MSN Championship. It was mega, that was. <laughs> so what was after that, then? After that was probably the most dangerous car I've ever owned in my whole life, and I wished I'd never got it, but I wished I'd still have it. I had a Subaru Impreza 22B, if you've ever heard one of them. And that was dangerous. That was... And you kept your license? I I only had it for, what, eight weeks, I think. But as we know, in your opinion, all fast cars must be four-wheel drive. Yeah, well, exactly. (laughs) And I found that out because I was on a wet roundabout and I thought, oh, this must be, you know, like a... This will be like a Formula One car. It will never go sideways because it's, you know, four-wheel drive. <laughs> it went sideways. And I, and after I went sideways, I just gathered it all up. And then that's what the week after I took it back to the garage and made about six grand on it. I said, just sell this because I'm going to die. And I was only 19. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was a good investment, that was. <laughs> I run it in for someone. I think I overread it for someone as well. <laughs> so, so after that then? After that, I ended up, uh, I went, not backwards, but I went into, I was just started racing and I was blowing up gearboxes in, in what car was it now? I don't know, that was it. I had an Audi A3 automatic, a diesel, just for about three months after the Subaru. It was a car I inherited off my mum and dad and I kept, I kept blowing the gearboxes of the touring car I was driving because it was a H pattern 306 dog box and it's because I didn't drive on the road in a, in a normal H pattern. So I ended up buying a Clio Cup or a Clio 172, I think it was called. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's so not I had terrible. <laughs> no, it was all right, actually. I remember it had Xenon gas bulbs and then it had, um, it had these things, the washer jets at the front. Mm. And you take out the plastic ball. And I hope no one judges me on this. You take out the plastic ball and then you, you, can, you can fire the water jets at about four four bar at anyone that goes across the uh, zebra crossing at the bottom of witness so me and my mates to grab and fire into these unsuspecting families of people <laughs> it was awesome I had a great time <laughs> you're such a naughty man <laughs> I, I was horrible I was never I always had a smile on my face while I was doing it the people who got fired into didn't but uh, no it was, it was it was harmless fun it was a <laughs> So how long did you keep the Clio for? Uh, the Clio, I must have had, I think I only had that for about seven months because then I signed for Vauxhall okay. and you then got a factory car then. So I had about six Astra Batone two-litre turbo death machines um, for, for two years then. God, they were Larry then things. My mates used to make me laugh. They always used to uh, want to come out in it because beautiful-looking car, the, uh, the, the Bertone edition coupe Astra. So, yeah, we used to just be... Just, oh, we were naughty in that car. It was great. They were good times, man. They were great times. 
yeah, oh God, I didn't, I can't, I didn't, I don't think I owned my car for quite, for quite a while after that. I used to get like company cars. Then I was in touring cars and um, I had a Honda Civic through Honda. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the code name for it, but it was like the Civic uh, from like 2009. But before that, weirdly, I was, I never had anything brand new on the road because I, I, I had a really bad time. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of money, and my mum used to have to pay me mortgage for me in Northampton when the credit crunch come, mm. um, because I lost my job. I lost a lot of work at Palmer Sport in Bedford, where I was coaching uh, people uh, on corporate days. Mm. So I ended up with like a. I remember buying three Citroen Zara Estate HDIs, and they just used to, they used to rot around the engine. The engine was mint. The engine never let me down, but the the whole rest of the car, the exhaust would fall off or. It was just, they were savage times, man. I don't want to talk about them. <laughs> uh, when you when you came back into touring cars, was that when you started getting new cars again? Yeah, so uh, so 09 and 10, I did a deal with Honda because I was driving a DC5 Integra and we had um, no support from Honda, but <clears throat> we used to do something called um, a question of motorsports at the dealerships next to the racetracks at the weekends. Mm-hmm. So instead of being paid, he said, do you want a car? And I thought, oh, I won't mind a Civic Type R because I was still a chaff, to be fair, when I was 29, 30. So, uh, <clears throat> so yeah. But it's not a dreadful car, to be fair, a Type R. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't as good as the old one, though, because this one had a, had a rear beam instead of independent suspension at the rear. So it was a, she was a bit understeering. Mm-hmm. But it was great to have a free car. But, oh, my word, I tell you what, it cost me some money in fuel, that thing did. It was never... <laughs> It was never below 8,000 revs when I was... going to say, the heavy right foot had nothing to do with that. No, not at all, no. I had a load of them. They were good. Honda were good to me, actually. They were they were very kind, and um, the cars were, you know... It was just... It was nice. It was a perk of, of being a driver in touring cars, you know, getting that. So, so yeah, but these days, as I say, the only cars I owned were from auction, and I had a Ford Focus, which is one of the best cars I've ever had, a Ford Focus diesel. Mm-hmm. Bluetooth cruise control, that was me, because I'm always either sitting in the passenger seat of a race car or I'm driving one on track. So I, and I'm not, I don't have any points on my license and I've not had any points on my license for weirdly, I think about 14 years. So I don't drive fast on the road anymore. As a kid, I might have done some stupid stuff, but as every child does, Yeah. but now I'm just well steady and I tick over in my diesel. So, and I'm fortunate I get an M2 now and again off BMW so I can, um, I can have a bit of noise in that, which is cool. So it's good fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to go on to the quick fire questions before we round out now. So these are the questions I ask everybody who comes on here. Ooh. And I'm going to start with, what currently excites you about the motoring world? Oh, uh, ooh, what excites me about the motoring world? Do you know what? Can I answer this one quickly? Um, so rallying. I'd never done rallying in my life. <laughs> I did my first bit of rallying last year. I now am a rally fan. I watch it on the telly. I love it. It is awesome. No, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, talking of Anglesey, I know that they're putting in a rally school there. Yeah. They're, they're looking yeah. to do that because I know somebody who's involved with the project of other parts to do with developing that site because that, that is a phenomenally pretty place mm-hmm. to put a racetrack. Absolutely love Anglesey. Love the people. Love it. I, I'm going to... I, I want to do more stuff there. I, I did a rally round there um, beginning of last year. Mm-hmm. It's everything that's good about the UK. Love it. We need to be there in touring cars. We need to go there. It's I just, mean, it's got a great setup of, the, I mean, that um, the, the control tower 
is, mm-hmm. is phenomenal. They've got a great view from there. It's it's mm-hmm. just it's just a brilliant place. I, I yeah, I, I've only been there twice, but I love it. And yeah. I know they're going to have um, historic racing there, twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. um, which gives another reason for people to go and visit that place. Yeah. So. And they don't have many problems with noise. I don't think either. So it's great. Well, I think it's a nine o'clock. Cut. The race remembrance is a nine o'clock cutoff. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So they they it's... can't do a full twenty four hour. But they can do up till nine o'clock. So that's, I mean, that you're getting the uh, it's dark and this is what racing at night is like. You're getting enough of experience of that. Yeah, with the driving rain from the Irish Sea. I love yeah, it. Quite. <laughs> okay, then what currently worries you about the motoring world? What currently, do you know, I think it's the, I think it's what we spoke about the, the directions that people seem to be going with automotive and are we going to end up with something that just disconnects the fans? That's my worry. Um, but I, I really, that, that's my only worry, but I'm hope I'm hoping that everybody pulls together and we don't end up in that situation. But that's what worries me. The, the disconnection of, of fans from the smell and the sound of an excitement of racing, but that, that's, that's hope that it doesn't happen. Uh, what has been your favorite car to drive and why was that? Ooh, a racing car. Any car, any at all, because you have a experience of a vast array of vehicles. I have, haven't I? I have. Do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put my neck on the line here and say it's been none of the touring cars because they were they were awesome and they, they fit a purpose, but Ronnie Peterson's March STP livery of a guy called Mike Wrigley who owned it. He invited me down to drive it at Donington Park. It was a DFV engine, mm-hmm. and it scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> and I absolutely loved it. I remember thinking I was going really fast, and I thought I was full throttle. I wasn't. I was half throttle going down the crane. It's in a JPS Lotus, uh, <laughs> an X Mario Andretti one with ground effects come around the outside of me. I was on a test day just for a journalistic thing for motorsport news. That was one of the best days ever. It was so cool. It wheel spun in fifth gear in a straight line. It was mentalist. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then what's been your least favourite car to drive and why was that? Oh, that's an interesting question. Oh, God, this is going to really upset Dave Bartram. It was a um, 2007 one-off race I did in a Seat Toledo British touring car. It was an S2000. It was like it was like driving a flying carpet with no aero. Which flying carpets don't have anyway. It was around Thruxton, and I think some of it was my fault because I'd, I'd not raced all year, and a deal got put together really last minute. But it was an absolute pig. I mean. I just hated that car. I just wanted it to just explode, and it never did, and it was horrible. And I remember, I remember, I remember battling with people that I had absolutely no respect for, and they come up to me and they were like, "I was catching you," and I was like, "I want to die." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that car. It's the worst thing I'd ever driven. But Dave, Dave Bartram, gave me a really great opportunity, but I shouldn't have took it. It was a real terrible thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what car would you like to own next? Ooh, what would I love to own next? And this can be, you know, uh, bottom, you know, from a from an auction, or this can be pie in the sky. You won the lottery, you know. It's it, the choice is yours purely. Right. I've done a lot with these people, so I know what they drive like, and I've been very fortunate to to drive it with a good friend of mine and yours, Alex Goy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say the um, the McLaren Senna, an absolute stunning machine, maybe. Not to everyone's taste to look at, but 
to drive it is just unreal. And you would be the boy around witness driving one of them. <laughs> <laughs> just watch out for the speed humps. <laughs> yeah, and the police. <laughs> yeah, quite. they wouldn't be interested at all. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no chance. <laughs> Uh, what is your favourite road to drive on? Oh, do you know, not a road in particular, but whenever I go up to Scotland mm-hmm. to do any work, absolutely love Scotland. I love the roads. And it's it's probably the roads just going up to, there's a back road you can actually take to Edinburgh instead of using the main motorway. Mm. And every time it gives me the option of being on the motorway or using the back road to Edinburgh, I always use that. And a lot of villages up there. But on the open road, it's just beautiful. And more often than not, I end up stopping and taking a, a sad Instagram picture of a BMW <laughs> or something and stick it online with a Pendolino going across the background. It's just beautiful up there, man. I just love Scotland. So, yeah, it's it's the Scottish roads for me because you can you don't have to be Larry. But I took an M2 up there and it was just a, it was brilliant. It was just mint. Loved it. It was great. So what is the most pointless optional extra you've had the misfortune to experience? Oh, my word. You've thrown them at me. I should have looked at your email. <laughs> um, what is the most... You like to work off the cuff. You've, you've told us that. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. you've, you've got me there. The most pointless optional extra. Oh, do you know what? I, I think I know a few of them. Oh, do you know, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say. Probably um, auto headlights. Jeez, auto yeah. headlights. Yeah, hate okay. them. Okay, no problem with that at all. Absolutely no problem. I, I always stick my headlights on properly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've had too many people drive into me because they haven't seen the two tons of metal <laughs> on the road. So I always put my headlights on full stop anyway. Yeah, Plus, I know the... that my backlights will be on. Exactly that. Too many people drive around with daytime running lights on, looking at you as if you've just invented fire with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, this is the penultimate question, and that is who do you think I should talk to after speaking to you? Oh, my word. Who do you want to throw under the bus? I would love, <laughs> I would love you to speak to Steve Ryder. I, I would, would love, love to speak to Steve Ryder. He's a proper lad with just the best stories ever. And if he could talk to you off the record about stuff, which, you know, he's just, he's one of the best, if not the best presenter and after dinner speakers I've ever seen. He hosts our British Touring Car Awards. And the day that that guy throws the towel in will be the saddest day of, of motorsports history for me game over so i think steve would uh, give you some great great stuff to talk about awesome well that is a, that is a name and i'll tell him when i get in touch i'll say that you sent me so uh, uh i'll <laughs> he'll know who to blame um okay the the last thing then just before i say thank you so much but that is uh, what are the best ways for people to follow what you do or maybe uh, get in touch if they would like to inquire about your coaching coaching services etc Ah, um, I think most of my following comes on Twitter, which is um, at Paul O'Neill 29. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram, which is, I think, I'm terrible, aren't I? I think it's at O-W-Y 29. And the O-W-Y is O-E, which is my nickname. So they are probably the, the two best platforms. And I'm also getting a website done, but I don't know what it's called at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> I leave that to my friend Chris, who's who's doing a bit of managing for me at the minute. So that's cool. And we've also got a bit of a filming company which is being set up as well. Um, Twenty nine Productions, which is going to be hopefully motorsport orientated and also automotive. So it's exciting times. But cool. Uh, will, that, will that stuff come out on YouTube or something like that, or will it be bespoke? 
Yeah, it'll be Vimeo and uh, YouTube, and uh, oh, awesome. I've got I've got a lot of stuff on um, on uh, Instagram as well. So so hopefully we'll we'll push all that through. And we're just going to try and help out people to try and get sponsors and just put bespoke stuff together. We've hopefully got um, a contract with a really big big manufacturer that we had a meeting with yesterday. So fingers crossed. Watch this space. Okay, we'll do. Well, I'll make sure that the links to Twitter and Instagram are in the show notes. And it just leaves me to say thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate you giving up this time. I've had an absolute blast. Um, and it, it's been it's been wonderful listening to somebody who really is passionate about motorsport uh, and British touring car and loves what they do. I mean, that's, that is really refreshing to hear. So thank you so much, Paul. No, it's been brilliant. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I hope it's great listening. And you'll have to drive a long way to listen to all of this, I reckon. <laughs> People do. <laughs> Nice one. Thanks once again to Paul for coming on Rearview and chatting with me. I hope you found our conversation as fascinating as I did. And if you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearviewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it here in Motoring Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions, car reviews, go try out our sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. If you think what we do here on Rearview and Motoring Podcast is worth some of your hard-earned cash, please do go and support us in our efforts. If you visit motoringpodcast.com forward slash support and click the Become a Patreon button, you can see the various levels that we have lined up for people who are willing to give us a regular contribution. I would also really appreciate it if you could tell others about the show. I think the people who come on here have fantastic stories, and I want as many people as possible to hear them. So until next time, that was Paul O'Neill, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.